0: vacation for those of you who didn't notice and uh and so people said joe you went on vacation i said no i gave you a vacation you were and you've enjoyed it too i can tell but you look so refreshed (laughs) after me being away what can i say I'm glad that you're here. Laura and I went up to Tennessee. We were on the Cumberland Plateau. We were up there for the 4th of July. We were at Laura's sister's house sitting in the shade under the trees, having a big picnic, seeing extended family and friends. And then they went swimming in the pool. Then they went to the parade. And then we did the uh, homemade ice cream and, and had dinner together and, and, you know, all that stuff. And then um, they did the fireworks. And it was a whole nine yards. And we got to visit around up there. I did something I've never done. Laura's nephew works for the railroad, and he inspects the line, the, the track, uh, for the railroad. And so he said, hey, if you got time tomorrow, I'll take you with me. And I said, okay. And he's got a pickup truck, railroad truck, and he drives up on the track, and then he puts down the tracks, that the uh, wheels for the track, from the truck, okay, so he's up on this this, uh, track that you're riding on, and we go and we inspect the track, and I got to see where my father-in-law had driven the train, he was a railroad engineer, across uh, this bridge, and somebody had driven one underneath it, and they made a picture when they did that, and I'd always seen the picture, but I'd never seen where it took place, and I I went to places, and and I saw places I'd never seen from that perspective, being on the track uh, in his truck, And seeing towns, I'd say, what town are we in? He'd say, well, and I'd go, okay, well, that makes sense. And I'd see familiar things. So we had a blast. He's getting ready to retire, so he decided to take me with him. And uh, and I got to do that, and and we inspected the track. And so far, everything's been good. (laughs) The track's been okay, even with my participation with Ernie that day. Uh, everything worked out. And then after that, we were in Birmingham a little bit. We have uh, our daughter and son-in-law and granddaughter. All three have birthdays in July. So we celebrated all three of those. And then Laura and I went over to Charleston, South Carolina, and we went down to Savannah, Georgia, and we went down to St. Simons Island. So we had a blast. But we're glad to be home. There's no place like home, right? After you've been gone. And this month, we've had some great preachers. Hey, how about that? Yeah. We've had some great preachers that we've had preaching for us, uh, people around here. I think Bill's still back there somewhere. Yeah, yeah there he is. He's, oh, I woke him up. Good, good. That's good. And uh, so they've been preaching for you, and we've been talking about goals. And today we want to talk about covenant keeping in relationships. Now, have you ever noticed, uh, those of you who are married, that uh, have you ever noticed that opposites attract? Have you ever, you know, when you're dating, opposites attract, don't they? You know, you, you just, Laura and I are different people. I mean, I can tell you, <clears throat> Laura is a homebody and she loves to be at home and she's her own best friend and she could just read all the time. Now she likes people, but then she likes to kind of withdraw a little bit and be re-energized, whereas I'm a people person, did you know that? And I'm energized by people, and so we're just kind of different in that way. And so when you're dating, this didn't happen to us, but I've heard this, when you're dating, you know that opposites attract, right? And then for some people, when you get married, opposites attack, have you seen that happen? They, they don't, they don't, the things that you thought were so cute when you were dating don't seem to work out as well after you get married, you know? Well, when married, when, when you're dating, you, you know, you look at the guy, I just love the way he's so laid back and cute and easygoing. I just think he's wonderful. And then you get married, get off the couch, you loser, and get a job. That's kind of the way it is, right? Now, how many of you, when it comes to money, you're different, you know? money. Some of you are savers. You're good with a budget. You know how to budget your money. Others of you don't even know there is a word called budget. It's just not. You're creative. You don't even think in those terms. And so opposites attract. You see that a lot of times. Or being punctual. Some people, I don't know if you knew this, some people like to be on time. Yeah, they do. Not everybody wants to be fashionably late. I don't know if that's news to you or not, but but some people like to be on time. Other people are creative, and they kind of have their own clock, and they get there when they get there. And so, you know, if if you're married and you're opposites, if you get two cars, you can stay married, okay? So Laura and I will celebrate 42 years in December because we got two cars, and it works out great. Or you want to be organized maybe you, everything has its place everything is where you need it to be and then other people are more creative and then, you know they just kind of let things go with the flow and it works out for them well when laura and i first got married she took me into the kitchen and she says now i'm going to explain the rules to the kitchen to you so you will know. And I thought, well, that's a good idea because I've been a bachelor and I've used the kitchen as a storage room for years, and this will probably be a good thing. So she did. She told me where everything went, but I listened. I listened to what she said and I observed, I watched what she said and I paid attention. And the next week when it came time for me to help in the kitchen, I started doing what she told me to do. And she said, no, that doesn't go there. I said, this is what you told me. You told me this one here. And she said, yeah, but I changed that. You know, and so she changed that. And I mean, I thought she was messing with me. I didn't know what was going on. No, I thought it'd be better over here. And so we tried that for a little while, me working in the kitchen, trying to help out and so forth. And finally she says, no, I don't do it that way. I do it this way. And I was like, okay. And she said, finally, she just said, i tell you what, you just go and let me do it. So I went back to my lazy boy where I wanted to be in the first place and it worked out just fine. And our marriage has been wonderful. Now I do, I will admit that I do help her in the kitchen some. There are certain tasks, she will allow me to do. I'm very good with the trash. She lets me take care of that. Occasionally, she'll let me make the salad. I can handle that. Maybe do the dressing if I don't put too much on it. Stuff like that. And, you know, I'll get the plates out. I can find the silverware. And, you know, Laura, was. she was a family. Their family, they had dishes. Are you familiar with this? I don't mean they just had some dishes. I mean, they. she inherited... Dishes. This woman, we've got two storage units in Birmingham filled with dishes. She she loves dishes. She's got dishes. We got all God's children need dishes like this. I'm telling you, she's got dishes, right? You know, my family, I inherited paper plates. That was pretty much it. That's all I had. You know, we we weren't as quite as well off as they were. Okay, so anyway, I you know, but so for me, I'm going. Let's just get out the paper plates. We just skip the dishwasher altogether. Oh, no, no, no. We got to get the plates out. And we've got different kinds of plates. And we have different seasons. And we have different, we have Christmas plates. We have plates to celebrate all kinds of stuff. And sometimes I don't always keep up with the right plates. And she has to tell me. So, you know, I'll spend my lifetime learning about that. Well, everybody has relationship goals, but it can become challenging. And what we want is a Christ-centered kind of relationship in our relationship with those we love. Christ-centered. Now, we've been talking about being Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping. That's what we're going to talk about today. And so today, I want us to look at that. And what does it mean for us to live that out our relationships with one another in the book of matthew in the 19th chapter it says some pharisees came to jesus to test him they asked him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason now when you ask that question right there let me pause for just a minute does it sound like they're looking for a loophole to you because it does to me in other words how can i get rid of my wife i mean that's what it kind of sounds like But Jesus responded, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And in the previous weeks, what we've learned is, that while God, our creator, wants to unite us, that the enemy wants to divide us. So little things can become big things if we don't deal with them. God wants us to deal with them in such a way that we work them out and we continue to grow closer to him and to each other. That's what being a part of covenant keeping in relationships is about. So if you're gonna keep your covenant, there's three approaches that people take. And I'm going to mention these to you, we're going to talk about them a little bit, and then I'm going to recommend one of them. The first one is the casual approach. It's a casual approach to marriage. Marriage isn't any big deal, it's just a piece of paper. What difference does it make? It's not that big a deal. And if you have that approach to marriage, then you'll probably have that approach to sex as well. Well, as long as there's two consenting adults, it's really nobody's business we're not hurting anyone, and since marriage isn't that big of a deal, and sex isn't that big of a deal, we might as well just move in together, and that's kind of what happens for a lot of folks. It's interesting that they did a survey with Barna in 2017. Now, here's what they discovered. They said that the people they surveyed said 57% said they had either lived with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or they were living with a boyfriend or girlfriend right now. I'm just curious, I'm just curious, how many of you would have thought that percentage was accurate? Just quickly, show of hands. How many of you would have thought it was less? How many of you would have thought it was more? Okay, so 57% was pretty significant to me as I looked at it. And as you think about it, the culture today just lends itself to that. And so if you're with someone, you say, well, it's just easier to move in together. It's convenient. We can save money. And we'll just, it makes sense. We'll just see if this works, right? And so that's what they do. They live together. Now, I'm not trying to bring shame on you if you're living together. I'm just trying to give you a perspective from God's word and help you understand this. So don't get too nervous. I'm going to talk about it and try to help you look at a perspective maybe you haven't considered. Maybe at some level, if you're living with someone, you've made some kind of Of commitment to the other person. But here's what's happened for a lot of people. They've done this over and over and over again and there's a pattern that has developed. For example, let's say you move in with somebody and you take your toothbrush and you put it in the little toothbrush holder and you put your clothes in the drawer and you share the bills and the address and you split a sandwich together, right? You you get half, they get half, and you may share the bed together. And then finally, essentially, you you do married things, but you're really not married. And if things don't work out, you just take your toothbrush and your clothes and half of your sandwich and you go find somebody else. And then you kind of move in with them. Now, what they've discovered is, is that people have gone through this pattern so much and they've broken apart from one another. Well, if it doesn't work out, we'll just split up. That even when they get married later on, what happens is that they end up saying, well, it didn't work out. You said something that hurt my feelings. We got upset with each other. Let's just get a divorce. Because we learned how to do that after years and years and years of practice. And you realize that what you've done is you've developed a pattern that causes you to make it very easy to get out of a relationship. So sometimes what happens is that opposites attract and you find the special one and you are in love and and all of a sudden all the songs on the radio make sense, right? And you're so happy and you get together and you're in love and then you get married and it gets complicated then. Because she squeezes the toothpaste out of the middle of the tube, not out of the bottom as God intended, right? And it becomes, an, or he leaves the toilet lit up because nobody ever trained him how you're supposed to live and act. He's just a barbarian, right? Or or maybe he doesn't put the ketchup back where it's supposed to go and now you can't find the ketchup. And you're a little irritated about that. So you say, well, let's just break it off. Let's just get a divorce. Let's just go our separate ways. Now, that's why it has become so common is because people have done that with person after person after person. I mean, marriage is just a piece of paper. Sex is no big deal, right? We can live with multiple people. If it doesn't work out, we'll just walk away. And so that's what happens sometimes when you have the casual approach. That's the first one, right? Now, let's look at the contractual approach, okay? You get married and you sign a contract. Now, the problem with a contract is that a contract is based on something. Do you know what a contract is based upon? It's based on mutual distrust. (laughs) I don't believe you're going to do what you say you're going to do. You don't believe I'm going to do it. So we don't trust each other. So we need a contract to make sure this works out. And if you don't trust them, you're not going to shake on it and you're not going to sign on the dotted line because you want a contract. Now, contract is generally temporary, and what happens is you have to meet the obligation of the contract. The other person has to meet the obligation of the contract. There's a temporary period of time. There's some certain things that have to be done in order for you to be responsible for one another. And, and if you enter into a contract in marriage, then as long as you both live up to the agreed upon terms, everything's fine but what happens if somebody betrays the other one or what happens maybe if the other person doesn't make you happy or maybe they say things that hurt your feelings or whatever then you feel like the contract is broken they didn't hold up their part of the bargain so I'm not gonna hold up my part of the bargain as well and so you go your separate ways now I think there's a better way for you to approach relationships and that's the third one and that's the covenantal approach The covenantal approach. The covenant is based not on mutual distrust. It's not temporary. It's not motivated by selfish preservation, but a covenant approach is mutual commitment. It's based on unconditional love and commitment to one another. You say, I'm going to love you. I remember I performed my aunt's wedding many, many years ago, and we were at the rehearsal. And, you know, at rehearsals, people are nervous. And so they kind of cut up a little bit at rehearsals to kind of get all the jitters out before they actually have to go through the ceremony the next day. And so I was going through it, and I said, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer. And my aunt was responding, you know, she was saying these things after me. And she said, for better or worse, for richer, and she just waited there, and she was like, I'm not so sure I'm sold on the poorer part. Can we just stick with the richer thing? And of course, it was a joke, and unfortunately, they've remained married, so I know it was a joke, but but they worked out all right financially. Things were good, but you know, what we're talking about in this covenant is that, you know, you're married, and, and so you're together, and, and so, you know, when Laura got sick, I took care of her, and when I got sick, she took care of me, and, and so that's what you do when you're married. You love each other, and you enter into this covenant. And covenant is not necessarily a common word that you would use today. You don't always think of it in that regard. Some people do, but it comes from an Old Testament Hebrew word, uh, and it it is uh, the word bris, and it means a cutting. Now what it was about, it was an established covenant and blood was involved in this. In the Old Testament, two people would enter into a covenant. And what they would do is they would take a bull and they would cut the bull in half. And then the two people who had the covenant together, they would literally walk around the bull seven times together. And here's what they were saying. As they did that, essentially they were saying, what happened to this bull should happen to me or you if we don't fulfill our oath, if we don't follow our obligation. And it's a covenant of shedding blood and giving my word. And in the Old Testament wedding, they had a powerful ceremony that they would practice. And what they would do is, is they would take the hand of the bride and the groom and they would cut it. And then they would take the two hands and as they bled, they would put them together and they were mingling the blood, the shedding of blood together. And it signified as from the book of Leviticus that life, blood is your life. And and you're exchanging your life together. You're giving your life to each other. And so they would hold your hands together and it would be the process of you becoming one. Now, what I hope you'll understand is but when you embrace that, that, that marriage matters. It matters to God and it matters to us. It's a gift from God and it's something that his children practice because he's taught us to do that. Hebrews, the 13th chapter says this, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Now, if you look up the word all in the original Greek, do you know what it means? It means all. Some of you know Greek, that's right. That's exactly right. It means all. So it applies to everybody. If you're a kid and you're young, you honor your covenant of marriage. If you're a teenager with raging hormones, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 22 and single and you still have needs, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 31 and you're waiting and you're dating and you have a desire for mating, you honor the covenant of marriage. If you're 47 and you're divorced, then you honor the covenant of marriage. And that's why I believe that when we talk about sex in the church, instead of saying to young people, don't do sex, what we need to say is, wait, wait because the relationship that you have is something that is God-honoring. It is something that God has a way for this to happen. It is something that is special. It is something that is holy. And so you wait, you save that, you keep that for a time when you both make that commitment to one another until you grow together with God and each other. And the good news is that if you've already made a mistake there and you've messed up and now, you know, you've moved forward, that God has a way to make things right. No matter what you've done in the past with the grace of Jesus, you can be forgiven and move forward from this day and you can honor the covenant of marriage. So I would say to you, if you're not married yet, wait about sex and then go through marriage and do that and have premarital counseling and get married. And then one day you'll stand before God and friends and family, and you'll make a decision together and you'll become one flesh spiritually and physically, and you will honor God. Uh, Or you can just do your own thing, but then it just becomes business as usual. And then when you do get together, it doesn't seem like it's really anything special. So what you want is for something to be Christ-centered in your relationship. And there's a difference in being what we call a Christian and being Christ-centered because a lot of people profess that they are Christians today, but they don't really understand what it means to practice that. The centering your life around Christ is what we're talking about. It's saying, Lord, how do you want me to live? What do you want me to do? How can I follow your word? You know, Carmen was talking about what does it mean to follow the Ten Commandments? What does it mean to follow God's Word? What does it mean to live by His principles? Because when we do that, He blesses us and we grow closer to Him and one another. So we're united to a higher calling. It's not just a casual approach and it's not just a contractual approach, but rather it's one that is a covenantal approach. Now some of you may say, well that's easy for you to say you've got a good marriage, but I don't have a good marriage. And I want to acknowledge That I know that some people don't have a good marriage. I know that maybe you're in a situation where there have been betrayals or hurts or dysfunction. Perhaps there's been pain, there's been different levels of abuse, and I want to acknowledge that it is complicated. But I want to tell you our world is complicated today, and if you've got two people, you've got two schedules, you've got complication. And so you can just decide, hey, our marriage is gonna be good. It's gonna be what we want it to be. We're gonna to work together to make it all that it will be. And and maybe if your partner's not there, then you, you pray, you spend your time on your knees because a lot of times, you know, you can have an impact on that person eventually to bring them around to God's way of doing things. I've seen that happen. I've seen it happen. I, I know it can work. And, and so we say, you know, we want our marriage to be all that God wants it to be. But there are times in our lives where we don't feel like doing what we're supposed to do, right? We don't feel like expressing our love sometimes. We don't feel like forgiving people sometimes. We don't feel like being Christ-centered. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever done things in your life that you didn't feel like doing, but you needed to do, you were supposed to do? Yeah, everybody here has done that. Let me give you an example. I'm not going to feed my baby today. Let me know how that works out, okay? Because babies have a way of communicating with you in a way to get your attention. Have you ever noticed that? Hey, when they're hungry, they'll let you know. They're not just real passive about waiting around going, I hope they catch on. I'm just going to be subtle. We'll sit back and see if they know what's going on here. They don't do that, do they? They said, I'm hungry and I want it now. You know, with our daughter Catherine, the second child we had, we were used to Elizabeth and she would just say, "ba," "ba." And she would see that we were getting her bottle, and she would go, "Okay, they get it. They're getting it. It'll be there, right?" Catherine was not that way at all. She would scream bloody murder, and we would get the bottle, and we would stick it in her mouth, and she would take it out to fuss some more. That's just different people. I'm telling you, it's just that way. And so you say, "I'm not going to feed my baby today." Well, good luck with that. It's not going to work. Or maybe you just say, "Well, I tell you what, I'm going to. I'm not going to go to work for the next three months. I need to work. I need the money. I've got bills to pay, but I'm not." Gonna I just don't want to go that's not gonna work is it you've got to take care of things you have got to be responsible or maybe you're saying you know I don't think I'll pay my taxes. Let's see what works out there. Now, let me just say that I've known some people and I've observed this. So that works out okay for some people for a while. <laughs> and then they catch on, and the IRS comes to visit you and they want to spend time with you. And sometimes they want to spend a lot of time with you, and sometimes they want to take you to a place where they can spend more time with you and keep you there until you figure out a way to pay your taxes, right? And so that doesn't really work out. So let me do a word to the wise. I know it may be late, but late is better than ever. Go ahead, pay your taxes. If you're like me, you're still waiting for your refund. Hey, but I'm not bitter. Anybody else in here waiting for their refund? IRS, if you're watching, I'm waiting patiently for my refund. I, I filed my taxes on time. I was a little early. We e-filed. We're supposed to get the money back. For some reason, they want their money on time. They're not as quick getting it back. Have you? I digress. Never mind. Well, the big problem is that we wanna be Christ-centered, mission-driven, devil-kicking, and covenant-keeping people. And, and sometimes we misunderstand the character of God. We need to realize that God doesn't want to have a casual approach with us, and he doesn't want to have a contract with us, but what he wants is a covenant with us. And you know, if you had a contract with God, it wouldn't work, you know why? because you couldn't live up to the contract. He would always keep his part, but you and I wouldn't keep our part, would we? And so then what happens is, well, I feel guilty because I haven't kept up my part, so I'm not gonna expect him to keep up his part, I'm just gonna give up. And that's what some people sometimes do. The problem is we don't always live up to our own side of things and our own expectations. But I love what it says in Second Timothy, it says this. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Now listen, that's good news right there. Because what that means is that even when we mess up, even when we choke, even when we don't do the right thing, God will always keep his word. He'll always keep his promise. He'll always remain faithful. It's not based on what we do. It's based on what he does. And he will forgive us. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he's not looking for a contract. He's not looking for a casual relationship with us. He wants us to be in covenant with him and with one another. And so if we choose to honor God, then he will always be faithful to us. And what a blessing that is, right? So let's just thank him for it. God, thank you so much that you teach us what to do in your word. You explain it to us. You help us to understand it. But even when we don't follow it, you give us another chance to make things right. Lord, I pray that we might be about your business. I pray that we might be your people. I pray that even when we fail, that you would just help us get back up, that we would repent, that we would confess, that we would turn from the wrong way, and that we would be restored by you. And I thank you for that, and I thank you for the opportunity to be yours today. Lord, I pray that you might bless us to bless others. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have a great week this week. God bless.